Dr. Thank you very much for this marvelous occasion. I feel very much at home here with the students, having taught Harvard Medical students for the past 45 years. My life as a surgeon scientist has been fantastically interesting. I combine, or the surgeon scientist combines, the best of science and humanity. At college, I majored in Latin, Greek, and philosophy, figuring I'd get enough science when I got to medical school. Every day for me has been like Christmas. You never know what's going to be inside the package when you unwrap it. The two, th two items that I feel are most important for my happiness are enthusiasm and persistence. Enthusiasm comes from the Greek, en theos. It means the God within us. We all have a spiritual guidance that's forcing us, and I think enthusiasm is the touchstone for success. Learning is a lifelong process. It's not some group of facts that you memorize and then you're learned. It's important to seek what's unknown, what the facts you know are already there. So what we want to do is look forward into the unknown, find the challenges. Uh, I, like uh, others, have found that my family life has been tremendously important to us. Uh, I'm, much as I've enjoyed my professional successes, it would not, anywhere, would not have been anywhere near as enjoyable without the constant, steady support of my wife, Bobby, of 46 years, our six children, and now our burgeoning numbers of grandchildren. We have been outdoors uh, persons. We've been hiking uh, throughout all the continents. We backpack, and I'm happy to say that my six kids with their spouses are backpacking in wilderness areas also. It has been a tremendous balance for me. Now, my work was concerned with patient care and research, which led to the world's first successful organ transplant. As was mentioned, it happened to be a kidney. The biology of transplant rejection applies to all of the tissues of the body. The first successful transplant was in 1954, when I operated on one, a sick, identical twin, and his healthy twin gave the kidney. This was the world's first successful transplant and was a worldwide stimulus to organ transplantation everywhere. This didn't happen in the blue. There were teams. We had an institution. There were hints that it could be done. Uh, however, the conventional uh, advice I received from my superiors, and this probably means that some of the advice you get today you shouldn't take too much cognizance of, because the advice was for me, Joe, don't get involved. It's a dead end. It will never get anywhere. You're going to ruin your life. Well, I couldn't give it up because there were hints that you could break the immune barrier. And besides, we had patients who were dying. They couldn't afford to wait. We couldn't wait for the immunologist to solve the problem in the laboratory. They were young persons dying, and all they needed was a spare part, uh, a kidney. So we did the first one in 1954, and then in the next decade, um, by 1962, we were able, after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of animal experiments, we were able to produce a successful transplant in a human being when the kidney came from a cadaver. And uh, well, this would never have been possible without the background work of Dr. George Hitchings and Dr. Trudy Elian, who are here today, co-recipients of the Nobel Prize in 1988. 
and George and Trudy worked with us, among other surgeons and other members of our group, to accomplish this uh, uh, deal. Now, following the first successful kidney transplant, the decade of the 60s uh, was the era of the first liver transplants. And the first successful heart transplants occurred in the decade of the 1970s. Following this in the 1980s, there are successful heart-lung transplants, transplants of the pancreas, the intestines. And my fellow co-recipient of this year's Nobel Prize, Don Thomas, uh, won his prize for the um, development of bone marrow transplantation. And bone marrow transplantation is used to successfully treat leukemia and many other blood dyscrasias. Currently, over 200,000 persons are living in the world today on transplants. So uh, I would uh, say that it has gone from the laboratory through a long series of events to everyday uh, clinical human transplantation. I've had, I was in that for about 20 years. In 1970s, I returned to my interest in craniofacial surgery, operating on children with congenital facial deformities, and the, the second 20 years of my active life were devoted mostly to a reconstruction of congenitally deformed children. Finally, I heard an aphorism which I repeated. I, was, I addressed the fourth-year graduating class at Harvard Medical School just a few weeks ago, and I ended the talk with the way I'm going to end this one. And it's a quote which I just heard. I don't know where it came from. But it is, service to society is the rent we pay for living on this planet. Thank you. Um, I imagine that as a medical researcher, you would have a very busy work schedule. How do you manage to find or make time for both your work and your family? One must prioritize one's life. I think someone said you've got to keep your life in focus. Um, I compartmentalize my life uh, to a certain degree. I always took a one-month vacation with my family uh, totally. We always did hiking and camping literally all over Canada, the United States, and Europe. So that one month with the family was sacred. Uh, that helped a lot. As far as combining the laboratory work with clinical work, caring for patients, running a practice, and running a lab, I took off two days a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, for the laboratory, working with research fellows, and then the other three days would be devoted to teaching and clinical uh, care. But you've got to focus it and be very um, strict in keeping the divisions. Um, yes. In the future, how would you propose uh, bridging the gap between cutting-edge research in medically-related fields and actually applying it to the patient? Well, there are many ways of doing it. Much medical progress do is done in the basic laboratories. Others are done in the hospital, just uh, doing record research. There can be a combination of both clinical research and uh, laboratory work, and uh, one just has to plan on doing it. I will say that there's never been a better time to go into the medical profession. We can cure and diagnose conditions now that we couldn't even dream of five years ago. It's the most exciting time in the world to go into medicine, and it's a very satisfying life. Um, you can pick your own niche in medicine any way you want. 
You mentioned um, that you did a number of experiments on animals and such before you were able to do the second kidney transplant. I'm just um, curious how you feel about the use of animals in experimentation for medical purposes as well as cosmetic purposes, um, whether or not you feel that you could have achieved this without the use of animal subjects. Um, I feel very strongly on the subject, and I think I'm glad you brought it up. Animal experimentation is absolutely essential for medical progress. All of cardiac surgery, all of transplantation surgery, all of the vaccinations for polio. Poliomyelitis has been wiped out because of animal experimentation. Um, I think that there are misguided groups out there that are trying to say that animal experimentation shouldn't be done, that computer modeling can be done instead. It is ridiculous. There, I've spoken all over the country on the, the advantages of animal research, and I would hope everyone in this audience would realize that I am an animal lover. I'd, I am uh, supportive of humane societies, but we mustn't confuse the rabid anti-vivisectionists with humane societies. We all love animals. I wouldn't destroy a life or even a... A, a, a spider unnecessarily because life is sacred to me but human life comes first and animal experimentation is absolutely vital for medical progress diabetes has been wiped out because of it polio I hope that answers your question <laughs>